Alvarez did. <laughs> um, I have a new favorite person here in this church. Uh, I'm going to kick Rick Rosetto off my favorite list now. And I'm going to put Nathan Horn in that position. <laughs> I see you all agree with that. That's good. Um, I understand. This is what I was told this morning, and this is what made my day. Uh, Joe was telling his kids that he was not going to preach this week. And uh, they were asking, well, who is? Uh, and so he said, well, it's Mr. Allison. He's going to come and, and preach this morning. And he said, Dad, who is that? And so they went over to their... Uh, refrigerator, like all good friends of the Allisons and Cadre Ministries. And, uh, and he pointed out our picture, our missionary picture on the refrigerator. And uh, of course, he noticed that we had a few kids. And he said, now which one of these two guys, because I only have one son, which one is going to speak? He said, it's going to be this guy. And he said, uh, no, that's, that's Billy Allison, that's Bill's son. Well, how old is he? He's about 20 years old. Wow, how can that be, Nathan says, when the other man looks like he's only 30? <laughs> you are my new best friend. Thank you. Oh, my goodness. That's your secret to church growth right there. Unbelievable. That was beautiful. Uh, we, on the way in, we were talking about, like, how long has it been since we've known, uh, known, known this beautiful church, Chillicothe Bible Church? And, and uh, my wife and I got reminiscent, and I remember when my son, he was only t- about two years old, and we would put him in the nursery, and I would preach here. You were in between pastors, and, and um, uh, one, of the, one of the nursery workers told us a story about our son when he was two. Because uh, we, we always check in, like, hey, how did it go with our kids? We got a lot of kids. Wherever we went, the nursery increased. And so we said, how, how did it go? And, and the nursery worker in, in told us, uh, well, um, he was a good boy, but he informed me today that he doesn't need to listen to me because I'm not his mother. <laughs> and so I don't know who that was, but our apologies 20 years later. I'm going to uh, do something uh, before I kind of get rolling here. I want to make sure if, uh, and I understand there's a lot of you, and I can see by the faces, some of you we don't really know that well, and so I brought all kinds of missionary stuff, so in like talk, instead of talking about my ministry, I just want to do my ministry with you today, but here's what I'd like to do. You two gentlemen, would you help me, please? Would you, um, would you just, I know, that's what you get for sitting in the front, and, uh, <laughs> and so you guys kind of pass those out along that way. You go over to the other side over here, all right, very good. Now, hold on, let me give you a couple things to pass out. I want you to get everybody... Every family can have a missionary card. Every family can have a missionary update. Here, would you make sure you pass those out too? Make sure everybody gets some of those. I know it's double duty and it's confusion, but that's welcome to my world. All right, so that's how we kind of roll. All right, while they're doing that, if you would just take one of those. It's a, it's a, one's just kind of our year-end missionary update. It kind of tells you what's happening in our ministry. Um, and I just, just by way of introduction to that, I will just say to you, uh, please take our mission. If you already have a missionary uh, magnet and a little prayer card, Uh, Let it pass down the way. If not, please put us on your refrigerator. Our goal is to be on your refrigerator. And if just one time in the coming year you go into your refrigerator and you think about all those kids and our family, just say something like, God, help that poor man and that woman with all those kids. If you'll just breathe one of those, it was worth our our trip here today with you. Um, This time last week, just so you kind of know, I'll just tell you a little bit. 
This time last week, I was in the mountains of Colorado uh, enjoying the snow. No, I hate snow right now, don't you? I'm so sick of it. And, um, and, but I was with Shane Stacy. Shane Stacy is the Evangelical Free Church of America's National Student Ministries Director. He had pulled about 15 different guys from all the different districts in your 1,400 churches nationwide. And uh, we met up at a, a place in the mountains uh, last week. And uh, we have this partnership with the student ministries, the National Student Ministries with the Evangelical Free Church, in which we help them do disciple-making and evangelism. In fact, uh, we're getting ready to roll out uh, nationwide through the different youth leaders in the different districts, um, uh, evangelism is relationships, training we did here a number of years ago with you all. Uh, we're going to roll that out with the Evangelical Free Church uh, nationwide in the, next, in the next six months. So we got a lot of work to do with the uh, Evangelical Free Church of America, but that's just one of the ways that you enable us to even bless other Evangelical Free Churches through all their different ministries. And on that little prayer card, I mean, on that little newsletter, you'll see a note from Shane Stacy talking about our partnership there. All right. I would like you to open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Instead of talking about our ministry, I want to talk about why this whole thing happened. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Paul, in defending his own ministry, to false teachers who had been trying to undercut him, uh, probably comes across with the most able defense about what God had called him to and who he was. And for Paul, it always comes back to that time when he was persecuting the church and Jesus Christ himself appeared to him, and that was the game changer. When you have a personal encounter with Jesus Christ, it is the game changer. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. This has everything to do with what your church is aiming at this year in trying to share the gospel with 2018 people. So I need you to listen closely because it all begins when someone meets the Jesus of the Bible. I would not be here right now had it not been for an ex-bartender who talked to my mother who was a bartender about Jesus. And then one thing led to another, and here we are. And that's the story I want to tell you because when I read this passage, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation, the old is gone, the new has come, I need you to know something. That's not just ink on a page to me. That's not just like a nice little thing Paul says. That's something that's so real that I am reminded of, and God will not let me lose. Every day I think about where would I be if it wasn't for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I would like to tell you my story because I want to tell you something. I think as you proceed to your goal of sharing the gospel as a church body, as individuals in this church body with 2,018 different people, you need to tell your story and how the gospel of Jesus Christ has touched your life. Let me start at the beginning for me. I was born at a very early age. <laughs> okay, let's fast forward a little bit. 
I was born and raised in the housing project. I was second generation housing project. My mom was also raised there as well. My mom became pregnant before she was married and had to, mar had to get married. And uh, by, the time, uh, by the time she went to work at the tavern, when my mom and dad divorced, uh, she, we had two of us, my sister and I. My sister's about three years behind me. And we were very young when it all happened. It, it, we, I say uh, we were poor. We grew up poor because we grew up in the housing project. But friends, I need you to know something. Growing up poor actually taught me a number of great things that missionaries need. <laughs> number one, it taught me that if anything was ever going to come my way, I was going to have to work for it. That's really good. That's a really good thing. I'm not sure a lot of us have learned that, the next generation especially. Secondly, you know what it taught me to do? It taught me to do without. I don't need everything. I'm okay. I have an identity apart from anything I have, and that's a blessing. But you know what else it taught me? It taught me that I shouldn't judge people about their poorness or their money, and I shouldn't honor people just because they have money. Friends, listen now. It taught me that people are people. And uh, one thing that's crazy in our, we were poor, so that wasn't the problem. You know, you know what the problem was? We were dysfunctional. Now, when I say dysfunctional, don't get me wrong, you'll, I'm passing on a whole new set of dysfunctions to my kids, right? I mean, uh, but I mean classically dysfunctional. And I'll give you a, I'll give you a couple of illustrations, but I'm, I could tell you a ton, but I just want to kind of give you a picture of what I mean when I say the Bible says the old is gone, the new has come. My mom and dad, uh, my mom divorced my father, my, my first, my biological father, uh, because my mom was put in a hospital by him. He was an angry drunk at that time in his life. And uh, he was so angry, he pounded her so much that she went to the hospital. My mom, just to save her life and probably our lives as well, said she was going to get a divorce. By the way, I still have a uh, relationship with my father, and I love him dearly. still get to see him, so he's a part of my life. Uh, and so... Um, but my mom did a classically dysfunctional thing. The very thing she was trying to avoid, an abusive alcoholic man, she turned right around and went to work at a tavern, and guess what she met? Another very abusive alcoholic man, and that was my stepfather. We grew up in fear in my house, my sister and I. Not because so much stuff happened to us. It was just what he did to my mom. There was abuse. There was a verbal abuse. There was physical abuse to my mom. Uh, as we grew up, the only, thing that, uh, the only thing that I wanted to do was get out of that house. My sister became pregnant at 15 and got out of the house that way. I found that if I invested my time in baseball, basketball, and football, I had some kind of sport to engage myself in in school, and that got me out of the house, and I could practice in the afternoons, and so I had a lot, I had a lot of opportunities that way. Um, but, when, but when my stepfather, he was, a, by the way, another misnomer about poor people, uh, they, they don't work. My stepfather was one of the hardest working men I've ever seen. He just drank all his money away. So there was not a lot for us, so we stayed in the project. So um, I remember when he would come home, he'd be off at 5. He'd probably come home 8 or 9. He was always drunk. And, uh, and so I prayed one of three things would happen. I, I prayed just the one thing would happen, but I knew three things could happen. I prayed that he'd pass out and, uh, and there'd be no tiff. There'd be no argument. There'd be no physical abuse. Uh, sometimes uh, he would do that. Sometimes he would come home and he would just kind of engage my mom verbally and they would fight a little bit and then he would go to bed. Sometimes he would push her around. I'm going to tell you one story, but I don't want you to uh, feel sorry for me because, uh, because what the gospel says is true. Any man is in Christ. He's a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. But I want to tell you so you get an appreciation what God can do in somebody's life. And I want you to understand this because this town, this community, 
needs these stories of God's touching your life, and they have to appreciate the stories by knowing where you came from. One time, my stepfather came home, and, uh, and he was angry, and he, my sister and I were in the little living room in our little housing project apartment, and we heard uh, them, him actually pushing her around. So my, we, my sister, I was probably seven, she was probably four, we came running in to see what was going to happen, and, uh, and he had pushed her against the wall, and, and he was just sitting down to eat. It was about 9 o'clock at night. Um, something in my mom, after all these years, had snapped. She calmly walked over to the drawer at our kitchen, pulled out the biggest butcher knife we had, came up behind him to kill him. She drew that knife up, and he looked up just in time. He grabbed uh, her, flipped her over on the table. The food and the chairs are going everywhere, and they're rolling around there, wrestling that knife on the floor. And I wondered to myself, is my mom going to get killed? My sister and I, as children, screamed for my mom's life. Out of that big tangled mess of arms and legs came my mother. She was no longer holding the knife. She grabbed me in one arm. She grabbed my sister in the other. She, she pulled us all the way upstairs. My stepfather had the knife. He was chasing behind us. It was all futile because there's not a lock on any door upstairs, any door upstairs. And my mom slammed my bedroom door. My sister and I shared a, uh, uh, a bedroom. We had two twin beds. My mom grabbed us. Put me, in, put me on one arm, put her on the other, and like a mother hen, tried to protect my stepfather coming in from, from with a knife. And he came busting through that door. He saw us trapped on my little twin bed, and he laughed. And he began to take that knife, and he came over, and he stabbed it into the bed, and he stabbed it into the mattress. And every time, over and over and over, he got closer and closer and closer. I screamed for my life that day. I thought we were all going to die. We screamed so loud. The great thing about the projects there, those walls were paper thin. Somebody heard us. And somebody walked into our downstairs apartment from next door and yelled, Hey! As soon as my stepfather realized somebody else was in the house, he dropped the knife and left. I think it was a God intervention. We were screaming for our lives. For years, I told you I grew up poor. For years, I would pull back my sheets, and there were those holes in those beds. It probably took me until I was in my 30s to be able to talk about it. But I need you to know something. I tell you that story because the world says someone who grows up in an alcoholic family, they're pretty doomed to repeat the process. Someone who has seen a man abuse a woman is doomed to repeat the process. Now listen, I brought my wife and my kids with me. They've got stories about how far I need to go. But you are free to ask them. In 25 years of marriage, I've never raised a hand to that woman. Do you know why? Because she's stronger than I am. No. <laughs> you don't know how tough she is. No, I'll tell you why. The Bible's true. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Oh, I got a long way to go. Sometimes I look and I go, woo-wee, look at how far God has brought me. And God goes, woo-wee, look at how far you got to go, son. Right? We all do. But I'm here to tell you, because of Jesus Christ, that's not a part of who I am. 
And that's not a part of who my kids have seen me be. And that's not a part of my experience with my wife. They're there. You can ask them. You can, don't ask for all the other stupid stuff I do, though, please. All right? Because I do a lot of dumb stuff. So what happened? What happened between that picture that I just told you about and now here we are as missionaries? Well, I'll tell you what happened. Jesus Christ happened. That's what happened. We didn't have any kind of church background. I don't ever remember being in the inside of a church. Uh, but my mom had this friend named Jerry. Jerry worked at the tavern with her. Jerry was like a mini mom. Oh, my goodness. My mom and Jerry, those gals could talk it up. They both single gals, both divorced, both single moms, both partying, both drinking, both working at the tavern like crazy people, both pursuing a lot of men. They were just lost. They were giving their lives to only what they knew. Jerry had worked at the tavern longer than my mom. She didn't know what to do because she had a two-week vacation. She didn't have anywhere to go because she had no money and she had kids. So she called her sister who lived in another state. Her sister, who had recently received Jesus Christ as her Savior, said, we'd love to have you come for a visit, but did not tell her why. Once Jerry arrived with her kids at her sister's house, Jerry soon found out why. Her sister could only talk about Jesus. What did, what did Jerry's sister tell her? About the God of the Bible who created the world, who loved her, who because of Adam and Eve's sin, Sin had been a part of everybody's life, and because of that sin, it separated us from God. And God said in Genesis 3.15, when he was giving punishment to the devil, the serpent, he said, one day, Satan, I am going to send someone who's going to undo the curse of sin and Satan. We didn't know who it was. The whole Old Testament speaks his name. The whole Testament hints who it is. But friends, you know who it was? It was probably a 13 or 14-year-old girl that gave birth to him. His name is And he was and is the Son of God. He is God incarnate. Who did God send to undo the curse of sin and Satan? Himself. Because Jesus is God in a bod. <laughs> he sent himself. And you know the story, and if you don't, you got to get good at hearing it and saying it. He died on the cross. He shed his blood, and he rose again. Why? Because he was a sinner? No, because he was sinless. And we needed a sinless person, a sinless God who could pay for our sin. And God raised him from the dead the third day, Romans 4.25 says, for the justification of our sins. I mean, it's just, he justifies us from our sins. It's so beautiful what he did for us. And friends, Jerry's sister who hadn't been a Christian that long, told Jerry this story. And Jerry received Jesus Christ as her Savior. And by the time Jerry was done, she had a two-week vacation, she, her sister got her reading the Bible. Jerry began to read the gospel. So when Jerry came home, she walked into the tavern, and she said to her boss and my mother who was working there, I quit. And they were like, what'd you do, go on vacation and find a job? She goes, no, I don't have a clue where I'm going to work. And I ain't working here anymore. And they said, well, why? They said, don't you need the money? She said, of course I need the money. She said, but here's the deal. Everything I was looking for in alcohol, didn't find it. Everything I was looking for in men, couldn't find it. I found it now in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm leaving here. The lady who owned the tavern said, you have to give me a two-weeks notice. Jerry said, I'll give you a two-weeks notice, that's fine, but every time somebody asks me why I'm leaving this tavern, 
I'm going to tell them about Jesus. They said, we don't care. Go ahead and do it. That's what they told her. Go ahead. And for two weeks, that tavern became a ministry center run by the Reverend Jerry. She was telling everybody about Jesus. My mom told me the story. She said on the last week, last day, my mom was so sick of Jerry uh, because all she could talk about was Jerry. I thought Jesus. And so she saw Jerry, and my mom was so drunk the night she came into work her last night there, she saw two Jerry's, so she put one hand over her eye, and she said, God, whatever it is that happened to Jerry, I hope it never happens to me. That's what my mom said. Didn't want any part of it. Friends, you know what's great about Jerry? Jerry reminds, she was newly a new believer who somehow captured God's heart. She would not give up on my mother. My mom thought that would be the last day she ever saw her. Pretty soon, this car pulled into the projects where we lived, and it was Jerry. It was a junky car. She had this little book with her. We didn't know what it was. And my mom looked out the window, and she cussed. She said, oh, no, the religious freak is here. So we closed the curtains, and we closed the doors, and we all act like we weren't home. And my mom said, well, that's good. That'll teach her. But about every two or three days, Jerry would pull in, my mom would cuss, and we would pull the shade. I've been on a lot of pastoral calls in the last 35 years. I just need to tell you something. We know you're in there. (laughs) We know you're in there. One day, Jerry got to the door before we could close it. That's the truth. And my mom said, This woman obviously wants to say something. Let's let her in, hear what she has to say, and ask her to leave. That day, I remember my mom and Jerry sitting down at our little kitchen table, drinking coffee, smoking cigarettes. I'm sorry, I just got to keep this real. Jerry had been saved less than a month. Trust me when I say smoking cigarettes was the least of her worries. Do you know this thing called progressive sanctification? I don't know about you, but I wasn't instantly sanctified. I've got a long way to go, too, even today. Jerry told the exact same story to my mom about this God who loved her, about who, how sin separates us from that love, about how he sent his own son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross, shed his blood, and be raised from the dead the third day. My mom asked one question after hearing the story. She said, Jerry, you know how bad I am. My mom would tell you with embarrassment to this day, she has broken every one of the Ten Commandments, except thou shalt not kill. That's the only one. She said, Jerry, you know how bad I've been. Can God forgive somebody like me? I want you to hear the theology of a woman who's known Christ for about a month. She said, Porky, because that's my mom's nickname. I come from a very earthy family. She said, Porky, God loves to forgive people like us because we know we're bad and we need help. And my mom said at that moment, something in her heart leapt out and believed. My mom was so transformed by that. As a kid, We were no longer in taverns. I played every pinball machine in every tavern in our town. But my mom was so transformed, she began to read her Bible. Oh, my goodness. That woman 
was changed. I, I like to say as a kid, I had no idea about any Bible stories, but I got the best Christian education a kid could ever get. You know what it is? I got to see Jesus Christ take my mom, who was far from God, and with all the energy that my mom put into sin, she now directed that energy into her love for Jesus Christ. And she was just like Jerry. Could not quit talking about Jesus. They started this little Bible study, and at the Bible study, somebody shared with them that they needed to become a part of a local church. Uh, We didn't know anybody in any church. There's a bunch of broken bartenders and everybody else finding Jesus here. So they said, well, the person said it needs to be, make sure it's a Bible-preaching church, that the pastor opens up the Bible and shares the word and, and uh, make sure it's, the, it's a gospel-preaching church. And so my mom asked around, and we found this little Baptist church in our town, and so we went. And when we went to that church, oh, my goodness, my mom, oh my, she ate it up. It was unbelievable. It was so amazing. And I didn't know what to do because I had never been in a church before. My mom bought us some going to meet and clothes. And you can see that I haven't passed that on. And I had these shoes that were tight and everything, and I sat in the back. We must have got there early because you know how early you got to get there if you want to sit in the back. And, um, and, um, and afterwards, I mean, I remember sitting through my first church service like this, just like this, right? I mean, only it was, we had organ and piano. We didn't have a band, people. Does anybody remember that, the organ and the piano? We stood up to sing these songs, and we sang them out of a book. And, man, I was a child of the 70s. That's my favorite kind of music. I didn't know any of the hymns. They seemed a little awkward to me. Now I love them, but they seemed a little awkward to me. But it's my first experience. I'm looking around, and all of a sudden, they passed the offering plate, and I thought to myself, why does God need money? I'm just about 10 years old. I don't know what this is. I don't know what's going on. And then this guy gets up there, and he talks. And he talks. And he talks. And I thought I was going to die. Because I'm like, this is the longest thing of my short life so far. And so I started looking around church, and this is the truth, because this was such a cultural thing for me. I'd never been in church before. I started to look around, and I saw a lot of people in the front turning around like this. And you know what they were looking at? The clock on the back wall. And I saw people who didn't have to turn around looking at their watches like this. And I saw some people, I mean, I, I, was just, I saw some people dozing off, you know, during the sermon kind of a thing. And I said to myself, these people want out of here as bad as I do. And I looked around, and this is the truth. I looked around and I came right to my mother who was sitting right next to me. And here's my mother. Bible open. Underlining, writing stuff in her Bible. And I'm like, I look at the guy at the front. I look at my mom. I look at the guy at the front. I look at my mom. My mother is actually getting something out of what the guy is saying. And she's writing in her Bible, and I didn't even know it was, like, legal to write in your Bible at that point. I'm like, is that okay with God or not? And then afterwards, some of the ladies came over, like they do when a visitor comes, and they said, hey, is this your first time? And my mom said, yes. And, well, we'd love to have you back. We see you have a couple of kids. Would you like to 
hear about Sunday school? And I, I thought, oh, whatever that is, I'm not interested. Is it different than what we just did? I don't know. And my mom said, yeah. And they said, well, we have ages, you know, Sunday school for these kids right here, these ages. Well, when do you come? You come an hour early. <laughs> so we get to make it two hours now. So there I was, being in Sunday school. And you know what? As much as I loved uh, my mom's journey, I wasn't sure it was right for me. Part of my thing was this. I walked in that Sunday school, and the Christian kids that had grown up in the church, all the, all the church brats like your kids and mine, the teacher didn't show up for 15 minutes, and they cussed me out. Ah, listen, I'd heard a few words before. It was okay. I didn't really get worried about it. I thought, they, in fact, I could have taught them a few things myself. I didn't do it, though. But I said to myself, finding Jesus and having a relationship with Jesus is great for my mom, but it, it must be for when you get to be 65. Because when you're a kid, you think your mom is 65. Do you know what I'm saying? So I said, when you get old, that's when Jesus becomes something to you. If there was a Christian in my grade school, someone who knew Jesus like my mom, I didn't know who it was because they weren't saying. I even went to a bigger junior high school. If there was somebody in our junior high who was following Jesus like my mom, I didn't know who it was because they weren't saying. I even went to a bigger high school. If there was... One Christian in our high school, I didn't know who it was because they weren't saying until the end of my freshman year. Because my whole thing is, that's great for my mom. I don't know. I don't think you can follow Jesus and be young. Because I don't know anybody doing it. I'm walking down the hallway because I had been kicked out of the library. That's a long story I will not go into. I was holding my reading material under my arm because it was the only thing I ever read in high school, and that was the Rolling Stone magazine. Don't ask me why the school had a subscription to it. I don't recommend it. So I'm traveling down. I'm going to go, because I majored in study hall, so I had like three of those a day. So I'm going to the study hall. I got my Rolling Stone magazine, and I hear... This, somebody say this in our hallway in our public school. Somebody yells, praise the Lord. And my first thought was, how did my mother get into this school? <laughs> how did she get here? I look down this long hallway, and I see, you know, it isn't a hallway. There's all these kids everywhere, and, da, 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 and all of a sudden, like the Red Sea, it just parts. And there's these two guys walking down the hallway with their Bibles on top of all their other books. And they're not saying praise the Lord, but everybody's making fun of them. And I went, oh, these guys are going to be eaten alive, these little pansy Christians. They're going to be eaten alive in this school. And uh, somebody says, hallelujah. Somebody else yelled, look out, everybody. Here come the Jesus freaks. And I thought, man, they are going to get it. And instead of melting, they just, this guy holds up his Bible as he walks down the hallway, and he says to these kids what I now know to be Psalm 150. <laughs> he says, that's right, you guys. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And I was like, 
Whoa, that's not what I was expecting out of those guys. These two guys got me cornered. And they began to tell me the story that my mother had been telling me about this God who created the world and loved us and how sin had separated us from his love. And how Jesus Christ died on the cross and shed his blood and rose again the third day. And I'm like, yes, 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 yes. And they go, Allison, you know all this stuff? I go, I sure do. They go, how do you know all this stuff? My mom is just like you guys. This guy looks at me and he says, if you know all this stuff, how come you're not a believer? And I open my mouth to say, because I don't know anybody my age living it. I thought it was for old people. I opened my mouth and I went. And I realized God didn't give me one, he gave me two. And they're both looking at me like, you idiot, accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. That night, before I went to bed, I said my first real prayer to the Lord. You know what I'm talking about? Not like the ones you memorized when you were a kid. Like now I lay me down to sleep with a bag of candy at my feet. If I die before I wake, you know I died of a stomachache. <laughs> I'm not talking about no, that. I've done those. I'm talking about this one. I didn't know how to pray. I heard my mother pray, but I never really prayed. So it's like the first time I want to have a talk with God. And boy, I, listen, my mother had drilled the gospel into me. These guys had reminded me of it. And I was like, this is, why am I not a believer? Why, am, why have I not accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior? It only did good for my mom. It only did good for Jerry. Why not? And so I, I looked up to the ceiling because I just figured God was up there. And I just said, with, my, with the, the most sincere prayer I could pray, I probably said the most untheologically sound prayer. But, I, but my mom had drilled the gospel into me. I just said, God, I'm ready to do business with you. And I turned the light off and I went to bed. Now, I want to tell you something. I'm a passionate man. God has given me a passion for him and for the things of him. But it, my, my receiving of Christ was so not emotional. It was so not emotional, but it was very real. And you know how I know? The next morning when I woke up, and so far that's what I do every morning, my first thought was, yeah, I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior last night. Now listen, that's a miracle right there because my first thought is, where is the bathroom? That's usually what I'm thinking. Where do I? And right away I'm thinking, that's right, I did. I did accept Jesus Christ as my Savior. Then I thought, what am I going to do now? And I thought, well, what did my mom do? She started reading the Bible. My mom is a Bible crazy. She's a Bible junkie. My mom. And I knew where she was right then and there. She's downstairs drinking her coffee smoking her cigarette, underlining stuff in her Bible. That's what she's doing right now. So I go downstairs and I go, hey, Mom, you're not going to believe this, but last yesterday I ran into two guys who are always talking about Jesus just like you. And my mom goes, yes? Like expecting it, you know? And I said, uh, yeah, they got me, they told me all the stuff you've been telling me about how to receive Christ as my Savior. And my mom goes, Yes? I said, last night I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. Man, my mom jumped off that chair. She gave me a hug. She almost burnt me with her cigarette. And she was just hugging me and saying, I am so glad. I am so pleased, Bill. She said, I want to tell you something. 
I knew you weren't listening to me, so I prayed God would send somebody into your life that you would hear. She said, I want to meet him. So let's just pause the story for a moment. You're here today, and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, and your mother is praying for you. You need to get saved today. She's not going to shut up. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior and your grandmother's praying for you, you just need to hit your knees right now and receive Jesus Christ immediately. Why? Because those ladies have an in with God. My mom, I said, Mom, what am I, what am I supposed to do now? I think I'm supposed to read the Bible, but I don't have one. She goes, take mine. It's an old King James Indian paper edition. This is a got to remember, I got through high school without reading a book. It was a lot of work, but I did it. You have to work hard to not read a book in high school. You have to take a lot of classes over to do that. But I was committed. She hands me the Bible in the King's English. And she puts the little marker right in the book of the Gospel of John so I don't miss it. So she zips it up. Does anybody remember this Bible? You zip it up, and she hands it to me, and she says, dig in, and let me know if you have any questions. So I get on the bus that day, and I unzip it. We got a 45-minute drive I'm going to read, and I'm thinking to myself, I want to know about Jesus. And I read the Gospels. I start reading the Gospel of John, and I am understanding the king's English. This is miraculous, people. The Spirit of God lives in you. He's going to get the word to you. you got to just open it up. And I begin to fall in love with the person of Jesus. Now, I could tell you so much more of the story, but let me fast forward it, and then let me bring it in for a landing. I began to fall in love with the person of Jesus Christ, and I knocked out John and Matthew and Mark and Luke. Man, I was all over that. And I was even starting to write in the Bible myself. I mean, I was into it. And I, I think that was a great, I mean, there's so many great things along the way. God brought people to disciple me. I remember um, the volunteer youth leader we had, his name was Bob Oldenburg. Bob was a child of the 70s. I went to youth group. He had this, he was balding, but he had this long hair. He played guitar. He was one of the biggest pot smokers in our town, back before it became legal in Denver. And um, his favorite band was Steppenwolf. And he walked, he was just a volunteer guy, and he said, hey, man, what's your name? And I go, Billy. He goes, what do you like to do? And, and I said, I like to play sports. He said, you ever play tennis? I said, no. He said, want to play? I said, yeah, I'll play. And he said, well, I'll pick you up Tuesday. And he just began to build into me. Bob Oldenburg. I'm here today because of my mom and Bob Oldenburg who pulled me close. There was nobody saying, we need to pull that guy close. God's going to use him as a missionary. Yeah, they were thinking, we got to pull him close to keep him out of jail. You understand what I'm saying? I am not exaggerating. I can hug more felons in one day at my family reunion than you can in a lifetime. I guarantee it. That's not, that's, that's not I mean, I'm serious about that. That's true. So nobody was saying that. But I'm here today because somebody came alongside me. They didn't let me. My mom was determined. These two guys that, that helped me find Jesus at school, they, they walked alongside of me. I never saw how a man should ever treat a woman until what? I got in the church. 
Not every man treats a woman well who goes to church. But I got some great examples that let me come into their homes and watch. I want to tell you one more story, and then I want to bring it in for some application for you and a challenge. Ended up going to Bible college, graduated. My senior pastor, who was like a father to me to this day, he's 30 years my elder, um, pursued me at Bible college and said, I don't want you to go overseas to the mission field yet. I want you to come home and be our youth pastor. I said, no. He went ahead and talked to the dean of students. I said, yes. I came home. I knew I needed someone to work in youth ministry because I was a single guy, 22 years old. I looked out the first Sunday I was back in my home church and right in the middle, here was another one of the biggest pot smokers in our town who had gotten one of the Christian girls in our church pregnant. There they were with their baby. And he had recently come to faith. And God said, those are your people. So I went up to him afterwards and I said, I need both of you to be in our youth ministry. He said, man, I just accepted Christ. I don't know what I'm doing. I said, I'll walk with you. We'll figure this out together. He said, let us pray about it. And I said, that's Christianese for no. You got one week. You need to tell me what's going on. I got to get moving. He came up to me the next week and he said, I'm in. On one condition. And he's about 32 and I'm about 22. That you disciple me. I didn't know what else to do, so I just did what my mom did with me, and I did what Holy Oli, that's what we called Bob Oldenburg. Uh, I did what Holy Oli did with me. We read the Bible together, we prayed together, we tried to help other people find Jesus. That's all we did. We didn't have a program, which is what we did. He said to me, I said to him, what time you leave on the, he was a potato chip, potato chip driver. Remember Kelly's potato chips, anybody? He said, I've got to be out of here by 7. I said, I'll be over tomorrow at 5. Have the coffee ready, get your Bible ready. Okay. All these mornings I'm spending at his house before anybody's up. We're just studying the gospel. We're studying Jesus. A couple weeks later, he said, man, you're single and you live in somebody's basement, which is where the truth. I was living in somebody's basement. He said, would you like to eat with us sometime? I go, yes, every day. <laughs> Are you inviting me over? He said, you come over as much as you want. I sat down there. Now, he thinks I'm discipling him. Let me just tell you the story. I sat next to him and his wife and these two little kids. They're beautiful. They call it, they're old now. I am their Uncle Bill to this day. So I'm like, holy cow, I get to be a part of a family. And they loved each other. These two people really loved each other, man and wife. And so I remember sitting down. We had these cloth napkins. Nothing fancy as far as their house, but just cloth napkins and this beautiful lasagna meal, and we were eating dinner, and afterwards, this guy got up and did something I've never seen a guy do. You know what it was? The dishes. He walked over, and he put his plates in the dishes, in the dishwasher, and he came, it wasn't dishwasher, we were going to wash them. He came over to his wife, and in front of me and his kids, he kissed her, and he said, thank you for the delicious meal. I was single, but hoping to be married someday, and I said, note to self. This is one you want to hold on to, boy. And then he turned around and he started doing the dishes. And I was like, hmm, they're probably the happiest couple I've ever met. I wonder if dishes has anything to do with it. 
Next thing you know, hey man, that's what I wanted to hear. That was your cue. All of a sudden, a dry dish towel hits me in the head. I turn around. There he is, back to me. I'm slow, but I'm not totally stupid, so I go over there and start doing dishes. He's basically saying, you can eat here as much as you want, but you're going to do the dishes, boy, and you're going to do them with me. Can I tell you, here's what I want to ask you. Who discipled whom? I would argue he discipled me by letting me into his life and having a front row seat on how a man should act. A man who loves God does this. And I was like, duly noted. Now, I need you to know something. You can ask my wife. I can't cook, but man, can I do dishes. Right? You can ask. My friends, listen. I share all that stuff with you because our whole ministry is just replicating all the stuff that's happened. We find people who need Jesus. We try to help them find Jesus. We find people who know Jesus, try to help them help other people find Jesus. It's really simple. Jesus started this 2,000 years ago. It's not something I thought of. It's something we all join. And this is what he's doing to this day. And your partnership with us enables us to do it. From my heart to yours, thank you for letting me do cadre by your prayers and financial support so that when we get to heaven, we'll have so many more stories like this. Now, about you. You all have a story if you know Christ as your Savior. You want to make me, like, get irate? Tell me this. Bill, I was born and raised in a Christian home my whole life. I don't have a good story when you do that, you minimize the blood of Jesus Christ and shame on you because it took no less blood to save you than it does the prostitute, than it does the evil person who has cheated millions of dollars from somebody. The same blood who saves the lost church kid saves the world. You say, I don't have a good story. You have a great story. You were going to hell and now you're not. What's not great about that? And as you go to penetrate this culture in Chillicothe and beyond, you have a story to tell. And in your story is God's story. How he sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross and shed his blood. You need to tell both of those stories. And your leadership has wisely said, we're not stopping until 2,018 people take this, take this journey with us and they hear the story of God. We all love to hear a story. Here's what I'd like to challenge you to do. Join God in this community so that from this point on, there'll be way more stories to hear. There'll be more stories to be told. And it won't be, thank God for Bill Allison or thank God for Chillicothe Bible Church. No, you know what it'll be? Thank God for the Lord Jesus Christ because he's the only one doing anything that's really significantly eternity, right? That's what it is. I tell you my story not because of my mom's great. She is my, my friend. 
because Jesus Christ has this ability to transform the world. It's what we need more than ever, and you and I possess it. Now we got to infect everybody we know, starting with our families and our neighborhoods and the people we work with everywhere with this gospel virus. Will you? Will you? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? I purposely went long so that next Sunday you tell your pastor that you love him. And I hope in another 20 years I can tell my story again to the same church with a bunch of new people because of your commitment to tell the story. That's what we share in common. Jesus and a desire to help other people take that journey. With your eyes closed and your head bowed, I'm going to pray. But before I do that, I just want to say something to you. If you're sitting there going, I don't even know if I really know Christ as my Savior, I want to say to you, you need to say to God, based on what he's done for you, I'm ready to do business with you. And you can do that today. Pastor's here, the elders are here. You're probably sitting next to somebody who may be able to help you. If you can't get to any of them, come and see me today. I would love to help you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. For those of you who know Christ as your Savior, I'd like you to do something different. I'd like you just to quietly, right now, before I pray for you, say to God this, God, who would you like me to share your story with? Who in my world do you want me to share this story with? Would you say that right now to God? Just ask God. Who am I supposed to share your story with? Do that right now. Ask him. Lord, this means nothing if we keep it in this building. Your love your message has come over centuries across language barriers, across cultural barriers. Please help us not to keep it just here. I want to pray that every one of us, whatever we do for a living, will see ourselves as missionaries. People who love you and love the people who cross our path and in turn help them love you and help them to love the people who cross their path. And then, God, that we might help people help more people over and over again so that your story can resonate throughout the generations to come until you return. God, please don't let anybody steal your glory today for what you did. Don't let anybody brag about anything other than who you are and what you've done for us through Christ Jesus. Lord, help us to finish the service strong. I want to pray that your spirit will just enable people to respond. 
as you would like them to respond. In Jesus' name, amen.